All right. Um, good morning. It's good to see you all out there. Uh, my name is Mike. I am one of the elders here, and I am the, the pastor of Preaching Vision here. I, I uh, get to stand in front of you most weeks, and today we have a very special day. I'm excited about what the Lord is already at work doing, and then excited to involve you in this. Um, before we go there, though, uh, if you've been part of Genesis for a long time, you know this, but if you're kind of new to Genesis, you may not know kind of the rhythm, the normal rhythm of our preaching, because we've kind of done several what we would call more topically oriented sermon series in a row over the summer and then here in the fall. Um, but our normal preaching rhythm is to preach right through books of the Bible. We like we believe that God speaks through the Bible. That what's more important is that like what I say is not important unless I am echoing what the text of Scripture says, and that God has chosen to make Himself known through uh, the, the Bible. Uh, the sending of Jesus into the world. And so we normally just preach right through books of the Bible. Starting next week, we're jumping back into a book. We're going Old Testament, like Old Testament prophet. Uh, we're going to be talking about like this, this, this crazy guy named Micah uh, who has a word from the Lord for uh, his, his era, which is 800 years before the time of Jesus. And so we're going to start that next week. Uh, if you are like um, wanting to jump ahead, just start reading Micah. You can read Micah 1, getting ready for next week as we get ready to preach that. We'll spend most of the fall going through Micah. And then at Christmas, we're going to preach through this amazing story uh, in the Old Testament in the book of Ruth. So that's our preaching for the next several months. Uh, excited about that. But today we're emphasizing foster care, adoption, careful, vulnerable children. This week, my daughter, Grace, um, who is in a, you know, a class at school, she had to give a presentation on a book that she read this summer. And the book she read this summer was, was titled The Girl with the, uh, the, Girl with the Louding Voice. Uh, and she started sharing this report and my heart was moved. First of all, I was, I was really thrilled that, that she was wanting to stand up and give a report about something that was so important. Uh, she didn't know it fit right along with where we were at this, this morning because this book is telling the story of a Nigerian girl who grew up in deep poverty and because her mom couldn't afford this, all she wanted in the world was to be educated so that she could have a voice in the world. But because she grew up in poverty, um, her life went vastly different than what she wanted. Uh, she ends up being um, given to a man at a very early age to be one of his sex slave wives. She escapes that and ends up just in slavery in, in, in Nigeria. And she, she is standing as a fictional representative of what Grace told me is somewhere around 14 million Nigerian children who are in some form of slavery in that country. About 1.4 million, uh, uh, let's see, let me make sure I get my, my statistics straight. Um, for, uh, 14 million Nigerian children ages 5 to 14 are in forced labor or have been given sexual uh, slavery in marriages. Um, this is just a, a picture of the vulnerable children around the world. This is a worldwide problem, a worldwide issue. And as followers of Jesus, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we're not given the opportunity just to drop our head and ignore it. The Bible has some really clear things to say to us. And so, so we're doing a foster care adoption Sunday. Uh, we're kind of emphasizing this, but it's way more than just a Sunday. This is a whole new emphasis, a, a, a level of ministry. We showed you this vi video about fam ministries. At Genesis, that fam ministry is going to be called Encompass. We're going to hear more about that in a little bit, and it's a all-hands-on-deck idea. Um, there are estimates, some estimates say that there are 153 million orphans worldwide. 
um, about 1.2 million children around the world are trafficked either into slavery or into sexual slavery every year. Here in the, the state of Missouri, in our state, it is estimated that there are 13,000 children in the foster care system. Now, I did a little math, and I went out and found out that there's somewhere to estimates between nine and 14,000 churches. The math is not hard. If every church would just step up and find one family to do this, we would really make a dent on this. So we're going to step up and be one of those churches. Um, we're we're going to create a cult, culture of uh, care and, and support for families who do this. Um, and so what happened here is that Paul Larson uh, called me and said, hey, our friends from Royal Foundation are going to be here on this weekend. Do you want to do, and we kind of did this last year, a foster care adoption. We just tipped our hat to it. And sure, let, let's have them back. Let's have them share. Let's, and then several things, and I won't go into all detail because they, they, I, I don't have enough time this morning because you're going to hear from multiple different people, uh, which is exciting. But several things happened in my life where I came under the conviction of the Spirit and I'm confessing out loud to you as a church family that we have failed in this area in so many ways. We have had families who showed up in our church and got in, they were involved in foster care and adoption and our whole posture was, they're there, we're here for you. Just let us know when you need something. And, and, and made it the responsibility of foster care adoptive people to come forward to ask for help. And that was nonsense. So today that changes. Today, we are going to be a church who loves this issue and loves these families well. All right, that, right there, amen. Amen that. Okay, that's where we're going. We're going to change the metrics so when a family steps into a vulnerable child's life or they have vulnerable children, and, and, and let me just say what we're talking about. We're talking about foster care, adoption, exceptional children, or, or a, another term is special needs children, that we as a church are going to create a culture of care, a system of support to love families who do this. And, and it's all hands on deck. Let's, let's do this together. Um, this all started like what really what happened is there's a church in Metro East that we have a relationship with that is already doing this well. Um, and I went over and met with some of their leaders and I was just floored at what's going on. The pastor, the lead pastor, the preaching pastor of that church, they're, they're in foster care and they have this team of support that comes around them where they have people delivering meals uh, several times a month. They have a couple of families who say, we're going to come on a specific night in the month and we're going to provide childcare for you so you can go on a date night with your wife. They got a guy in their church that does lawn care and he just called him and said, I'm going to be on your support team. And here's the deal. I know your community group is every Tuesday night. I am showing up on Tuesday afternoon. I'm going to cut your grass. You don't have to worry about that. You can prepare for community group and love your family. Like that sort of thing. And I was just like, holy cow, this is amazing. We can do this. And so I'm excited about this. And to kind of get you going, we need to like, just be challenged that this is a really good thing. And so first thing I want to do, I just want us to look around this morning. If you are a family that has been at some point in time involved in adoption or foster care or care for special needs children, Raise your hand right now. We just want to get them up. Come on. Rest of y'all, let's celebrate them and give thanks for this. We love you and we want to be for you. Now, with that being said, Rebecca Larson's going to come share a little bit about their story and, 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 and get a sense of why this really matters and why it's so important. Okay, you weren't supposed to make me cry before I came up here. 
Sorry. That's not I was crying too, so we're in this together. All right. We love because he first loved us. My name is Rebecca Larson. Um, I am made in the image of God. I am adopted by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am a wife to Paul Larson. I am mother of eight children. Um, And I am happily part of Genesis Church. Um, I grew up, thank the Lord, in a Christian home. Um, I heard the gospel from my youngest years. I actually don't remember a time I didn't believe that Jesus died for my sins. Um, I prayed a prayer as a child. Um, I grew in the truth of the gospel as a young woman. Um, But when I was 17, it was actually a pretty broken season of my life. My dad had just moved out, and my my perfect paradigm of Christian life was sort of crumbling under my feet. Um, But at that place, I had an opportunity to go to the Philippines. Um, Our church was doing a missions trip, and I got to go um, with a whole bunch of other youth kids, and we went to the island of Cebu in the Philippines, and we worked with all these phenomenal children for about two weeks, and we did some work projects, and God did something in my heart um, during that time. I was in a very, I said, broken season of life, but I was also in a season of life where I'm 17, I'm in high school, I have a pretty comfortable, easy life, all my needs are met constantly, and at 17, I was pretty self-focused. And so at this unique place in in my life, in my journey, God took me um, to the Philippines and he did something in my soul. And I didn't know exactly what it was at the time, but I remember going home and telling my congregation, God did something life-changing. And I'm not sure what that is, but I think he's directing my life in a certain way. And I had had to um, wait to see how he would flush all that out. As a child, I wanted one thing. I wanted to be a mom. Um, from my earliest years, I wanted to be a mom. I was the oldest of six kids. I loved kids. I loved babies. Um, I loved nurturing and caring. Um, and when I was 17 in the orphanage at the Philippines, um, it was our last night there, and they were doing this dance and song thing and performing for us. And it was a celebration night, and I had two littles on my lap, and they were kind of these naughty little brothers. They were sitting on my lap, and they're in the middle of this thing, and one of them looks up at me, and he said, you're leaving tomorrow. I said, yeah, I am. But I was 17, so there was nothing I could do about that at the moment. Um, Four years later, um, I was engaged to my husband, Paul, and he had had some similar experiences um, in Central and South America doing missions trips and some orphan care. And um, as we were engaged in going through our premarital counseling, part of the discussion very early on became family and kids, and we both agreed we wanted children if that was the Lord's plan. Um, And we both agreed that probably adoption was just going to be part of the way God grew our family. Um, We didn't know exactly how or when, but that was was our hope, and that was our plan from the very beginning. Um, At 24, I became a mom for the first time, and it was fantastic. Um... Within nine and a half years, we had eight children. And I just did the math this morning. I didn't realize it was that fast. (laughs) Um, And I I had to actually pause for a moment. I was like, wow, that was a lot. Um, So four children were biological, um, had a couple lost pregnancies, and we had two adoptions. One was from Guatemala. Our son, Jaden, came home when he was one. And then another adoption from the Philippines um, was our sibling group, of three, they were 11, 9, and 6 when they came home, Joanne, John, and Joy, who are here. Um, so our family grew very rapidly in a short window of time, and it was crazy. Um, and it was hard. It was kind of like if you take a snow globe 
and you do this and you can't really see what the picture actually is and you have to wait for it all to settle. That's what our life felt like actually for a long time Um, because we had worlds colliding um, and we had ideas colliding and we had personalities colliding and we had belief systems colliding um, and everyone kind of had to figure out where they fit. Um, And some of us were vying for the same positions and we had to figure out where we fit. Um, and it, a lot of that happened in a season where we were not anchored well into a church. Um, and that was hard. That was really hard, friends. Um, you know, engaging in um, delivering children, raising children, adoption, we often walk into it with a little bit of naivety, right? We think like, I just, I just need to love them. I need to feed them. I need to give them a bed to sleep in. I need to take them to church. And like, we're good, right? Um, And somehow we think that maybe our love will be enough. But it's not. And that's a hard lesson to learn, that my love's not enough. That I'm not enough. That I actually don't save anyone. But I know who does. And I know the God who is enough. And I know the God whose love pulls us and draws us, and pursues us, and keeps us. And so that's the God we keep running back to. And there was a day, actually not long ago, where there's just a lot of turmoil in our life. And I woke up, and I I thought, I don't know what to do today. I do not have an answer. I do not have a solution. I, I don't bring anything valuable to today. But I know how to worship. And so I pulled them together. I said, we're going to just worship this morning. And we're going to worship until I don't know when. We might be here all day, folks. Um, And we read Romans 8 because that's where I know to go. And we spent some time in prayer because that's what we know to do. And so one of the beautiful things about being a parent, one of the beautiful things about being an adoptive parent is you get a window into God's heart. You get a window into what it is to call and to draw and to choose and to make preparation for. And I remember when we were waiting for our three from the Philippines to come home, I painted bedrooms and I hung decals on the, win- the walls and we bought matching bedspreads and we made preparation and there was so much profound delight in making preparation. And God's word says that he makes preparation for us. He's preparing a place for us. There was um, one Sunday, probably our younger daughter was, I don't know, seven, eight, and we were at a different church, and it was a communion Sunday, and they were doing the song, um, I don't know what the song is, but it has a line, he carried me to the table. And I was so overwhelmed because I was thinking about my husband and how many days he literally had just carried our youngest daughter, um, and when we're in the Philippines and when we're on vacation, when he just carries her because she was too little for certain things. And he carried me to the table. And I thought about that imagery. That's what Jesus does for his people. The heart of adoption is the heart of the gospel. Because our children, actually all eight of them, didn't really have any say in being part of my family. They were brought into the family. They were carried into the family. They were called and they are chosen and they are kept. Not by us. We're human agents, but they are called and they are chosen by God, as you and I are. And so that is the beauty of the gospel. Um, Belonging, I think, is at the heart of every human being. 
We are desperate for belonging. And the belonging we seek is not a church, although that is fantastic. It's not a family, although that is essential. It's God. And there's one kind of people, and that is broken, sinful people. And we have a God who has called us, who has rescued us, who has redeemed us, who has chosen us. And in turn, we get to love. Thanks for letting me share my story. Well, she just said everything I was going to say. But we're going to... Fr- <laughs> Thank you, Greg. Uh, but we're going to frame this in, in the scriptures. We're going to show you how the gospel does frame this issue. And so to do that, I'd like you to grab your Bible, turn to the book of James. We're going to hear from Jesus' little brother. Uh, Jesus' little brother who tells us what true, true religion looks like. James chapter 1. Um, you, you know who the 153 million orphans, the 1.2 million traffic, the 13,000 we got to start by acknowledging who these people are. They're not just numbers and masses. They're God's image bearer. God has put the imprint of his character and nation and filled the earth with the display of his glory in each individual. They are image bearers of God. They are people for whom Christ has died and whom the God of this universe loves deeply. And, and so it, it matters to him, for those who know Jesus, it should matter to us. And so James is, is, is talking. So if you have, don't have a Bible, uh, end of your rows, there are, some, uh, there are some baskets that have Bibles in them. We'll be on page uh, 1,113 in those Bibles. Just going to read two verses uh, and, and hear from James. Like I said, James is Jesus' little brother. And when Jesus was alive, James didn't believe in him. James thought he kind of went off the rails, was kind of nuts. Uh, but something changed James forever. Uh, on Friday, he saw his brother killed and knew his mom's heart was crushed. On Sunday, he saw his brother alive and it freaked him out and changed him forever. After Jesus rose again, James became, became a devoted follower of his brother as the Messiah, the King, the Savior. And uh, he actually was the leader in the church in the, the core city uh, in Israel, in Jerusalem, until he was killed for his faith in the early 60s. Um, but he, he writes a letter to primarily Jewish Christians. This letter has a, like, there's a lot of, like, Old Testament literature kind of feel to it. Um, but he's talking to them about what authentic faith in Jesus is going to look like. And he's literally uses phrases like, listen, we don't need to be just hearers of the word. We need to be doers. Um, but he's going to talk to us this morning about true religion. So here we are, chapter one, verses 26, 27. Here's what he says. If any thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. That person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Uh, James is looking at people who know what religious people are supposed to look like. He, he's talking to people who, who have experience with religious people, religious background. Uh, they were everywhere. He was in a very religious culture. And most of the people had grown up going to synagogue, participating in 
Old Testament temple worship and sacrifices. They knew what religious people looked like. And religious people then, like now, like to make it known that they are religious. And so it's very interesting that a lot of religious people in that day and age would get themselves a little wristband with a scroll on it. Uh, and they would get a headband with a scroll on it. And they're walking around you know, with headbands, with, with little, little scrolls with Bible verses, things like this, as a way to say, hey, I'm religious. I take this thing seriously. I have the word of God. I can put it on my heart. And I have it in my head. I, I, I'm religious. But then uh, it, it gets even better than that. People start getting longer robes with tassels and bells and, and bigger hats. I don't know why it is that in our world, the more religious you are, the bigger your hat is. Right? Because we, we got to show everybody how religious. And so we do it in our culture with teachers. Like they will know we are Christians by our t-shirts and our bumper stickers. Now hear me, there's nothing wrong with any of this. I'm not saying it's wrong. If you have a, if you have a, a, a Christian t-shirt bumper sticker, wear it. Uh, if you don't have a Genesis bumper sticker yet, you need Jesus. I'm not joking. But we do have those available. See Bob Lancaster, if you know who he is, he'll help you figure out how to get one of those on your car. But bottom line is, those things are all well and good, but this is not how the Bible points us to what true religion is. True religion, like we go to church, we say our prayers, we, we do religious systems and duties. Those things are important in our life, but those things should shape our lives so that we look different. And so here's James just going, let me explain it real simply to you. If you don't bridle your tongue, if, if the way your language, your rhetoric, the way you talk isn't being changed, you might want to check again. I'm not sure that your religion is true. If you're still gossiping, if you're still cursing the name of the Lord, if you're still uh, filled with vitamin anger and you lash out at people, problem. And at the end, he says, true religion looks like this. You keep yourself unstained by the world. In other words, there is a, a manner of life where we live with different ethics and different values because we have a different king. And if our lives aren't being changed corporately, collectively, and individually into the image of Jesus doesn't matter how big your hat is. Doesn't matter how, how cool your bumper sticker is. Now, now listen, I, I just want to say that, well, I don't have a problem with bumper stickers and, and religious garb. We have a lot of people who have bumper stickers who are hateful and spiteful and mean in our culture. Who don't bridle their tongue. We have a lot of people who wear the t-shirt, but their lives don't look any different from the world around them. That, that's a problem. But then he says one other thing, and this is what I really want to focus in on this morning. He says, uh, true religion, true religion is to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Now, that sounds like, okay, so what I need to do is I need to set out like one, one Saturday a month and go visit people who are either orphans or widows. This is where the English language just doesn't do it. He literally is saying that true religion is to enter. This is what the text, the phrase actually is trying to communicate. That you are entering into the trauma the crushing, depressing, the trauma of orphans and widows. It's not popping in and visit. It is, it is saying, here's what true, you really want to see if it's real? You want to see if the gospel is actually impacting people? You want to see if, if Christ is truly changing them? Do they enter the trauma of the marginalized, the oppressed, the broken? Do they really step in and care for orphans, widows? That, like the Bible, as you expand it, there's the big four, okay? The big four of justice, where they, they are treated with injustice in the culture, they're hurting, they're broken. And the big four are orphans, widows, the sojourner, the person who's the outsider, the immigrant, the, the um, uh, you know, refugee, and then the people who live in abject poverty, the poor. 
the big four. And all through the Bible, it's just like Old Testament, God has saved these people, rescued them, made them his own. And he keeps telling them, listen, you can show that you really love God by the way you treat these people. And then we get to the New Testament and the New Testament, Jesus makes it clear. Every gospel right here, here's James just going, you want to see if your religion is real? Do you enter into spaces where you were experience, like you were entering into the trauma of people who were marginalized and broken? Now, why would James say this? And I think there's two brief reasons. And this is where I'm saying, Rebecca said this to you, right? Two big reasons we need to understand this is super important for us. And why as a church, we've always had ways we do this. Don't, don't mishear me. When I say we haven't done adoption foster, we haven't cared for those who are in it. We've always had people in our church who, who were involved in this. We've always found ways to care for orphanages and, and, and work with organizations and places to do things like this. We've always invested in these things but we're calling us to a little deeper intentionality in this. And, and it's important for us to do this for two key reasons. Why would James say this? Two key reasons. First of all, you heard it. We're adopted. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is how the Bible describes you. One of the ways the Bible describes what has happened in the gospel for you. So, so if you have turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus, you have found in Jesus a beautiful and rich Savior. You have trusted your life to him. You have seen in what Jesus did in the cross and you came running to him. The Bible is super clear that the reason you did that is because God had already chosen you and invited you and, and moved in your life. He pursued you. And what that means is that you were a rebel. You were spiritually fatherless. You were an enemy of God and even though that's who you were, God chose and pursued you, and he adopted you into his family. Um, Romans 8, just a great text. Um, you know, this is part of the passage that um, Rebecca said she fed her family. Listen to this, Romans 8, 14 through 17. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, sons and daughters. That's the way you got to read it, sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of you see it there? Adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Here's, here's Paul, this great theologian and, and, and missionary who says, here's the deal. If you have met Christ, what happened in the, in, in the cross of Jesus in the gospel is that you who were once an, a foreigner, once an alien, once, once an enemy of the gospel, God has reached to you. He's placed his spirit inside of you. And that spirit has caused you to lift your chin and look at God and say, Abba, Father. That's, that's an endearing term. It's really sweet. Uh, it, it, it literally is the Aramaic, uh, which is what Hebrew speaking people would say for Papa or Dada. This is the three-year-old version. Like every culture in the world, I don't care where you go in the world, every culture in the world has the same name for mama. And it's mama. And here's why. Because the first consonant that children can do with their mouth is the M sound. They're going around, mom, 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 mom. And then they associate, like, mom comes running, and they associate, and now they're saying mama. And the second one is either dada or abba, baba. You know, it's because the second is either a D or a B. Anywhere in the world, it's mama and baba or dada, okay? And here, 
This, this is the toddler. This is the little kid running with their hands up and, and saying, uh, ba, 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 to, to, to their daddy, who, who then lifts them up on their lap and pulls them and, and, and plays games with them and loves them and says things like, I, I love to say to my children, where I, I will look at them and say, I don't care who you are, uh, what you do in your life. There's nothing that you can do to cause me to love you more. Nothing you can do to cause me to love you less. You are my child. You are mine. I will never let go of you no matter what you do in your life. You are my, my son. You are my daughter. This is what the text is saying. The text is saying the God of this universe, the God, the creator of heaven and earth has chosen you if you're a follower of Christ. And part of what that means is that we were enemies and we needed reconciliation. And God didn't just take enemies and make us friends. God took enemies and made us family. You've been adopted. And if you're here today and you're like, I, I don't know, I, I've never, like, I don't know if I've trusted Jesus. We want to share Christ with you. We want to invite you into a place where you can know that God is your father. In fact, they asked J.I. Packer, who is this amazing theologian uh, in the last 50 years, uh, what is a Christian? Just define a Christian. His answer is real simple. Uh, he says, uh, for the, the richest answer I know to the question, what is a Christian? is that a Christian is one who has God as their father. And so you've been adopted. Listen, the reason this matters is, first of all, this believer in Jesus, this is what God has done for you. And so, so it matters because we're adopted and therefore we are called. We're called to this. We are told clearly, this is James' point, true religion we are going to be people who step into the trauma of people who have been marginalized, oppressed, broken. We're gonna love children like Jesus loves them. This is gonna to matter to us. But what happens is the Bible starts using this language of, of care for the orphan, the widow, the, the poor, the, the sojourner. It never just says, all right, you need to do this. Here's the goal. You need to make the world a better place, okay? And so what you do is you, you care for these people. That is never how the scriptures frame what God wants for his people. What he does is he starts speaking to his people like this. He looks at Israel in the Old Testament, these people who were slaves to Egypt, and he says, you were the poorest of poor, you were slaves, you were helpless, helpless, but God has rescued you, he has redeemed you, he has saved you, he has given you an inheritance, therefore, you should love the poor. You should, like, God did this for you, and this is how he saved you. Therefore, the posture of your heart should be towards these people. You should love the poor. He, he tells them that, that you were immigrants, you were sojourners, you were wanderers. In the Old Testament stories, they wandered, and God met them in the wilderness, and then he led them to this land of promise, and he gave them all the promises. You were wanderers, you were sojourners. So when a sojourner, an immigrant, a, a, a refugee shows up, in your space, in your place, you should love the immigrant. You should step in their lives. You should care for them. You, you were fatherless enemies and God has adopted you. you. You should care for the widow, the orphan. This is how the Bible frames it. In other words, the Bible doesn't say, go change the world. The Bible says, your response to the broken and marginalized in a culture is your way of putting on display what God has done for you. What God has done for you. You, you make, like church, you make Christ known. So how has the church through the centuries done? 
I don't care where you go in the world. Who built the orphanages? It's Christians who heard the voice of James and went, got to take this seriously. We're going to go start an orphanage. We're going to show up in Haiti. We're going to show up in the Philippines. We're going to show up in these places. And we're going to care for these kids who have no father, no mother, no place to go. They are alone. We are going to love the orphan. We're going to step into their trauma. It's never easy. But we're going to step in and be serious about loving these children. It's, it's Christians who are stepping in and doing, in a lot of places, tons of Christians who are doing the foster care, who are opening their homes to kids who have gone through a lot of trauma and making their place where that trauma is front and center. And they're saying, we're going to love you and we're going to help you. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to manage this. It's Christians who have built hospitals. It is Christians. Like, just drive around St. Louis and find the name of every hospital in St. Louis except one. It's St. Something or something Baptist. Something Like, they're all started by people who in the name of Jesus said, we're going to care for people. Go, go find the people in the city who are working with the homeless. There's an organization or two who aren't rooted in faith. But the, the ones who are making a difference in the city, in our city, are people who are rooted in the gospel because they are putting what Christ has done for them on display. And so we find other ways to do this. Don't, like, we have done this, but as a church, we are moving the direction of making this a strategic point of ministry for Genesis. And so this idea of fan ministry, our, our network, the Send Relief Network, which is one of our partners, and we're really involved in them, has started emphasizing um, this and, and, and equipping churches. This is where we got in touch with the church over in Collinsville, who I had a conversation. They're going to do some training of a team. And, and you saw the video said, you got to find a team and then start inviting everybody to be an advocate. And, and so um, our goal in this is twofold for all of you. Option one is that some of you, like as we create this culture of care, of safety, of love, of nurturing for both uh, uh, kids who are in, in hard places and for families who step into that space, what we really hope is that some of you will hear this and all of a sudden the spirit of Almighty God will speak to your heart and you will feel a call to foster care and adoption. We, we, fit, we hope that that the tribe of people that are here who are in that lane will increase. And then you will go, if I do this, my church is gonna come around me and we're gonna be able to pull this off. We're not gonna be out here on an island doing this, okay? But if the spirit of the Lord doesn't speak to you in that way, we hope the spirit of the Lord speaks to everybody to say, I can be involved in one of these care teams that loves a family that's doing this so they have a network of support around them. And so we started working and the Lord raised up a rock star team of amazing people at Genesis. Uh, as we started praying, Lord, raise up some people. Man, we have some amazing people who are ready to lead our church. So I'm gonna invite them to come up. We have four ladies who are now part of a leadership team to help us with what we're calling our Encompass ministry, uh, who are just helping us figure this out and love these people well, and I love these families and these, these, these folks well. And so our, our Encompass team is Ani Durkier, Leslie Holdegraver, Terry Lancaster, and Alicia Wiscombe. Uh, Terry is a green shirt this morning, which those of you know, that means she's back in Genesis Kids. And, and so she's not up here, but she's one of them. And they're going to help us figure out what it looks like to love these, these kids and then to create a safe space. And so you guys, we're going to share a little bit about what's going on, what that looks like. Just get us down the road. 
knowing that for the rest of y'all, there's gonna be a lot of information coming in the near future and an invitation into this. So help us out. Good morning, church. Um, Yeah, so uh, as Mike said, our group will be called Encompass. And our goal is to help care and support these foster and adoptive families with the hope that in the future we can uh, work alongside with uh, special needs kids. Um, I just ask that you pray, um, ask God to just show you how you can help, and I just ask that you do not be intimidated by this. Um, there's many different things that you can do, and just uh, reach out to people, um, you know, ask you know, their stories, and see if they can help lead you as well. And be ready because we're going to come to community groups and talk about it and how you guys can get involved. And you know my two little foster babies are Draco and Australia. You guys see them running around being crazy. So, yeah, so be ready to get involved any way you can. Yes, we'll have uh, many different teams. And like she said, we'll share whatever we can with you guys. And, uh, yeah, we're just so excited for this. This is going to be really exciting. It's also going to be challenging because if we step into the trauma of people who are hurting, that trauma is going to end up like in our kids' ministry. This church that we're talking about um, that's on the Metro East, one in four children in their kids' ministry is foster adopted. That's amazing and hard. And it is beautiful. And so, so we're just praying about this, praying about how God does this. And one of the things we want to do is we want to make sure that when people are praying about this, if the Spirit of the Lord speaks to you and you feel like you're supposed to get involved and actually get involved in either foster or adoption, that we're, we're like really simply creating resources and easy avenues for you to do this. This team is already developing relationships with folks that are here in the area that are involved in foster. A Christian organization does foster care and adoption, or foster care uh, here in the St. Louis area. And, and we could get you in like all the training you need and, and be ready for that and get you into the system and all that kind of stuff. We're working on making that really easy so that if a family here feels like they want to do that. We also have a great, or developing a, a relationship with a fantastic organization um, that is doing that, that does international adoption, specifically from the Philippines. You've heard a little bit about that. And the Ruel Foundation, uh, we've gotten to know these people over the last two years. Uh, Par- Pauline Curtis-Smith and Eunice, uh, Eunice Reed uh, are, are involved in leadership of Ruel. Uh, they are caring for children, broken lives, and all this sort of stuff in, in Philippines and, and, and some other places. And what they're doing is amazing. And so what, what we're going to do is we're going to show you a quick video that just gives you a flavor for who they are and what they do. And then we're going to have these ladies come share just a few minutes about what they do. Uh, and, and so if you, like, you're starting to feel like, hey, I think I want to adopt. That's just my lane. What does that look like? And like we, we can do it locally. We can find ways to do it. But we also have a, a good organization here to do international adoption as well. So let's check out this video. You know, ever since um, Rebecca was talking and Mike was preaching, I've been <laughs> I'm saying, Lord, let me recover from Rebecca. And <laughs> the Holy Spirit is saying, no, that's the heart of Father, the heart of God. I don't want you to recover, Pauline. So if I cry, I cry. <laughs> um, yeah, so the mission of our foundation is to provide a loving home for children in crisis situations children that have been abandoned, children being sexually abused, physically abused, verbally abused. Um, yeah, so like, um, then we try and place them all in a loving home, either 
back into their own family unit or international adoption. So we've got children like Jacqueline. And Jacqueline, uh, when she was 11 years old, both her parents died. So she was sent to live with her grandparents, from, with her two sisters. From the day that they were sent there, they, there was three family members, or two uncles and a friend who raped those three girls continuously. Uh, we got a call about them, and so I drove for three hours, and I picked up this girl, Jacqueline, who came to us so broken. Um, both Two of those men have already been arrested, so that's good, but we've got many, many children that have been sexually abused like that, and older children that need a mum and dad. Uh, so Eunice is going to tell you how you can help with that, because I can't talk anymore. <laughs> He's a good, good father. That's who he is. And, you know, during that video, if you listen carefully to the words, it talks about beautifully broken. And I think the father heart of God this morning is, he absolutely delights over a church that's being intentional about looking out for these beautifully broken children and opening your doors and opening your hearts. And our responsibility, as you've seen on that video, is to provide a safe home for them and actually rescue them from the pain and their situation and provide for them until we find their forever family. And I love that word, forever family, because, you know, even while they're with us, it's been remarkable this weekend. We have Amy and her daughter, Laurie, that have come from Pennsylvania. And last night, as we were showing a video... Afterwards, Joanna said, I remember that little girl. And they were in the orphanage at the same time, but hadn't realised, but suddenly there was this connection. And then last night when she got home, she said, I remember Laurie. And she got out her family. We always do a beautiful book for our children from Ruel of their memories, their early memories there. And Joanna was able to see that she was in a photo embracing Laurie as a little baby, as a little toddler. So they were, were in the same home, in one of our loving homes, like a big sister and a little sister, and they've been able to reunite. Isn't he a good, good father? That's who he is. I think it's quite remarkable. So I really appreciate what God's doing here this morning, and we obviously need people to partner with us to sponsor these children while they're with us so that we can take the best possible care of them. And we're excited because I guess many of you may have seen the film The Sound of Freedom. If not, I recommend that you do see it. And it really shows the depth of hurt and pain that many children have lost their voice, they've lost their freedom. And we're about giving them that hope and freedom again. And a way that you can partner is helping us in that process. But we've now at the place where we're expanding and we're going to make room for 60 more children. So we need people to partner with us to be able to do that. Yeah, it's good news. It's really good news. So we need beds. We need practical things as well as the ongoing support so that we can take 
you know, care of our caregivers. Laurie's just recently been back to the Philippines, and the same cook is there. And she was reunited with one of the caregivers, and several of the caregivers, actually, and the cook that knew her as a little girl and has seen her grown up. That's what a part of being a family. And um, all our orphans and lost, broken children are called to be part of a family. And I'm excited to see, I believe this is a launch forward for this church today. And for us as a ministry as well, it excites me because God's in control. Thank you. All right, our band's going to head up. We're going to come to the Lord's table in just a minute. We're going to respond like we do every week to hearing the preaching of the gospel. We're going to repent, which means we all have areas where we realize that, that what the Lord is calling us to do is not where we're walking, so we're going to repent. We're going to believe the gospel, trust in Jesus, turn to him, and we're going to start walking in obedience, um, and which means that we're going to figure out what it means to honor Christ with our lives. So for those of us who are followers of Jesus, the table is going to be open for you to do that. Um, one of the ways, like, for the, the direct application of that today is a couple things. One, begin to pray. Where's the Lord? What's the Lord got for you in this? Uh, the second thing is, um, if you want to be generous, there's a couple ways. Make sure you visit the table in the back. They have like child sponsorships. They have ways you can get partnered. They have Christmas ornaments with pictures of kids on them, those sorts of things. You can do that. Um, if you want to give this morning, uh, if, if you can give through Genesis. So in your giving this week, uh, you can give through Genesis. Just designate at the bottom in your designation, Ruel Foundation. Or uh, if you give online, just put special offering. Uh, like you can click a, a tab that says special offering, and we'll make sure that we get, get anything given through Genesis. Um, they're building buildings. They're, they're adding kids. They have needs, and we can, we can bless them with the, that this morning. Or you can set up out there to be a sponsor where you, you have a regular rhythmic participation uh, with and through them, all right? So that's why you can do it. If you're here this morning and, and uh, you haven't ever trusted Christ, you're not sure if you've been adopted in this family, today's the day we would love to have that conversation with you. And at the end of the service, we'll have people over here who would love to pray with you, would love to talk to you, who would love to help you with anything if you have any prayer needs. But Kirk is gonna come up and lead us through our time of communion now, and then we're gonna come to the Lord's table together.